We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Okay, this week we are continuing our mini-series called Foundations of Formation. Last week we looked at rest. This week we're looking at work. And then next week, the next two weeks, we're looking at prayer and lament. Uh, Ben got what everyone wants to hear about rest, and I get what everyone doesn't want to hear about work. So that's how this was set up. Um, But we're going to be kind of all over the scriptures. I will. uh, We do have some of the scriptures up here behind me. So uh, as you have kids in your laps, you feel free to turn there, but we're also going to have it up behind me. Let me pray before we get started, though. Father, we... Thank you again for this time that we can come and open your word together. Thank you for the community that we have here at Emmaus. Thank you for the friendships that are represented. Thank you that you give us your word and that we can study it together. We can hear it together. We can encourage one another with it and challenge one another with it. Father, we pray that you would speak through me the words that you want your people to hear. Father, be with us this morning as we come before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in college, I had actually just finished up college. I was looking for a summertime job. I was actually working part-time at a small church there in Western Kentucky, at Western Kentucky University, and I was looking for another part-time job, so I decided to apply at Starbucks to be a partner. I'm sure a lot of people here have worked at Starbucks or a coffee shop to be a partner. Many of my friends were working at this place. That was probably the main reason I wanted to work there. A bunch of my friends worked there. I knew they had good benefits. I knew I could work a short amount of hours and make a little bit of money. And so I thought, well, I'll spend this summer uh, kind of in between, figuring out what I'm going to do next, working at Starbucks, working at this church. There was one problem, though. I don't like coffee. I still don't like coffee, surprisingly. Even though I look like a hipster, I don't like coffee. And so I had to somehow snag this job without letting them know I didn't like coffee. So before I applied, you had to fill out this whole questionnaire of, um, about you, where you've worked, so forth and so on. But one of the questions was, what do you like about coffee? I was like, ugh, this is a, this is a hard one. So I, I was trying to think, like, how do I not lie, but how do I kind of get away from this, right? So I decided to write down this line. I said, I like the liquid feel of it. So I put that, and the next day I went in, and the store manager interviewed me. He came to that question, and he read it, and he just laughed, and he goes, that's a great answer, and then he moved on. I was like, yes, and I got the job. And they only figured out later that I didn't like coffee. It was fun at first to work there. I enjoyed it. It was fun hanging out with my friends. It was fun serving people. But to be honest, I quickly grew tired of it. I don't like coffee, as I said. I'm more of an introvert, so it kind of wore me out to honestly be interacting all day long. And I'm not a huge fan of waking up early, like some of you, but I pressed on. I actually worked there for many years through my MDiv, and I became a supervisor, and I just kept working there. But I tell this particular story because we all have done, or maybe are doing work, that doesn't quite satisfy us. In fact, some of the stats say, at least for Americans, 50% of Americans don't like the job that they're in. They're unsatisfied in the job that they're in. So half of this room, you're like, I don't really like my work. I just don't. Many of you work, therefore, as a curse. We are taught to dread tomorrow, Mondays. Ah, 
It's, the mo it's Monday. I have to go back to work. Many are taught to live for the weekend. To work simply to go on the next vacation. Really, this is just a means to an end. I don't care about this at all. I just want to get to the next thing. Others, though, love their jobs. And the temptation there is to view your work as your God. It's where you find your identity. You never stop working. It's where you find your self-worth. And to be honest, you wouldn't know who you were outside of your work. Our larger culture views work under these two banners. Either it's a curse or it's our God. As one pastor put it, we are either, and I'm going to return to this concept, idol at work, I-D-L-E, or we make an idol out of work, I-D-O-L. We are either idol at work or we make an idol of work. And we need a different story of work. We need a different story of work. And what I want to do this morning is give you the large biblical story of work. Work is not a curse, and it's not our God. And this topic is really important for all of us, because even if you don't have a full-time job, we all work, we have worked, or we will work. Whether you're a full-time student, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're looking for employment, whether you came into a large inheritance and you never have to work another day of your life, honestly, this topic is for you. In fact, the average American spends about half of their 24-hour day on work if you include commuting, running errands, fixing up the house, taking care of the yard. Let's say you work eight hours a day, you spend maybe an hour of a commute, running errands, two hours on housework, whatever it is. That's about half of your day. In fact, if you put your whole life together, and you work like just kind of an average American, you'll work one-third of your life. Can you believe that? One-third of your life will be spent working. So this is a very important topic for all of us because we spend so much time doing it, and we truly believe Christianity is something that influences every part of what we do, and that includes what we do with a large amount of our time, work. So because this is more of a topical sermon, we'll be jumping around to some different texts, but we're going to look at work under three broad headings. The blessing of work, the fall of work, and then the redemption of work. The blessing of work, the fall of work, and then the redemption of work. First, the blessing of work. We have to start this story of work at the beginning with God. At the very beginning, actually in the very first sentence of the Bible, we learn about God and what he does, and what we learn is he's a worker. He's a worker. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created. That's a verb. That's an action. He's doing something. He created the heavens and the earth. The Bible begins with God working. He's doing something. And if you actually turn to Genesis 2.1, this is after he's created everything, it actually describes what he did as work. It says, the heavens and the earth were finished in Genesis 2.1, all the hosts of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work. His work of creation and all that he had done, and then he rested. I probably shouldn't ask this question, but I'm going to. Why did God create the world in six days and then rest on the seventh day? Well, there's a lot of answers that we could maybe give for that. But I don't think the main reason is to give us the age of the universe. I might get in, in trouble for saying that. I think the, the more of the point 
is that he did this because his work becomes a model for how we work, for how Israel was called to work. They worked for six days and then they rested on the seventh day. That's exactly what God did in creation. We work and we rest because God worked and he rested. God's actions are the foundation and the model for our work. Work comes from God. God is the one who began working, and then he calls us to work. So as we go on in the Genesis story, we see that not only does God work in creation, but he calls human beings to work as well. You see in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, I'm not going to read all of this, but their commission, their command after they are created, is to rule the earth, to fill the earth, and subdue it. They're called to do something. They're given a vocation. They're given work to do. In paradise, there's work. Genesis 2.15, it says, God placed humankind in the garden to work it. Before the fall, they're called to work the ground and to watch over the garden. This is so important for us. Work is not a result of the fall or part of the curse. Work exists before the fall came. Work is a part of how we are made. It's a part of God's good design. So here's the point in one sentence. Work is a blessing because in work we imitate God as image bearers. Work is a blessing because in work we imitate God as image bearers. God worked in creation, and we are created in his image to imitate him in his working. But what about work makes it a blessing? So I said work is a blessing because we are created to work. God was a worker, and we are workers, but what about it makes it a blessing? Again, looking at the Genesis narrative is instructive. When God works, he brings order out of chaos. He brings goodness into the world to share with others. That's what he does in his work. He creates order out of chaos and brings goodness into the world to share with others. Genesis 1-2 says this, the earth was formless and empty, tohu vavohu in Hebrew, which means it's wild and waste, it's empty. But into this empty void, God speaks and creates light and land, and the sea, and plants, and animals, and God calls all these things good, or tov in Hebrew. So God takes what is tohu and makes it tov. There's a, there's a word play there. He, he takes what is wild and waste and makes it good. And if you look carefully at God's work in creation, God's creation is meant to share with us. Light and darkness give humans what they need for a rest and rhythm in their life. Land and the water gives us a place to live. Plants grants us food to eat, so he creates everything so that he can share it with us. He gives it to us. If you look at the order of how things are created, it doesn't make any sense why it's created in this order, but it does make sense if it's for us. He, he wants to share these things with us. And in the same way, when we work, we also bring order out of chaos. We turn tohu into tov. We work so that we might share things with others. We, in the language of the Bible, fill the earth and subdue it. We develop and cultivate God's already good creation and make it even better. 
That's what we're called to do. We work to reshape the world so that people can see the beauty and natural order of creation the way God intended it. So, for example, we don't just make gardens, typically, unless you do the backyard garden. We don't just make gardens to feed ourselves, but to feed our families, and then even our communities, and then even larger than that. We create something, and God causes it to grow, and then we say, we have too much. Let's share this with others. And then you begin trading it with others, and you get something from them. That's how economics works. We work so that we might share with others. We don't pave roads, usually just for ourselves, but for, so that whole communities can drive different places. That's what we do. The Bible's story of work tells us that work is a blessing because it's part of God's good creation. It's part of paradise. In paradise, you will be working. According to Genesis, work happened before the fall, and it's going to happen after the fall. We work, in work, we imitate God by bringing order out of chaos and sharing the earth's resources with others. So let me draw out just two implications of this for ourselves. First, your work is good and a marker of your humanity, a marker that you are made in the image of God. For many of you, you feel that your work is pointless. Whether you work at a coffee shop like I did, organize warehouses, support teachers, work in IT, work in healthcare, software design, CPA, construction, counseling, stay at home with the kids, your work, according to the Bible, is good. It's good. Work is a part of God's perfect design for your life. It's a part of your nature, your DNA, your makeup. Why? In our culture, we usually ask, what's your name? And then, what do you do? There can be some negatives to that, but one of the positives of that is we immediately associate who a person is in some sense with what they do because it's part of our DNA. It's part of who we are to work. This is why unemployment is such a tragedy and can even be dehumanizing. This is why those who often retire early grow grumpy or they find other work to do. How many people have you met that have retired? They're like, I just got to find something to do. Because we're made to work. This is why even those who make truckloads of cash in a job they hate find themselves completely miserable. Because they hate their work. It's not about the money. It's about the work. We were created to work. It is a blessing. And this challenge is one of the most common narratives that we've been trained to believe, that you work to live. We are trained to think we work to live. Work is viewed as a means to an end. It provides what is necessary so you can do what you really want to do. It's a necessary evil. I don't, these restaurants still exist, TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Did that shut down? I've never, I haven't seen them recently. Anyway, there used to be a restaurant called Thank God It's Friday, right? That, that's how we think of work. Thankfully, it's over. But that's a lie. The lie is that you work to live. The truth is that you live to work. You were created to work. This is what you're called to do. That's why your body is made the way it is, so you can work. So when you wake up in the morning, you think, why am I doing this again? I hate this. We're going to talk about hating that. Remember, though, that only humans are given job descriptions in the garden. Only humans. 
not animals, not plants, not the waters. You, you as an image bearer of God, were given a task. You are called to work. You are called to bring order out of chaos, to bring what is tohu into tov. So let me pose this a question for you. This is a hard question. I think we all probably would struggle with this. Let's say tonight, you get an inheritance of $10 million from a relative that you didn't know existed. Would you go to work tomorrow? That's hard, isn't it? Would you go to work if you got a large inheritance of money? According to the scriptures, even if you got that inheritance, you're still called to work in some way. Now, you might not. You might like, I'm not going to that job. I might do something else. Okay, fine. But you're, you're not just supposed to sit back and be like, all right, I'm just going to enjoy it. As Christians, we're called to work. Second implication. Your work doesn't have to be explicitly Christian to be a blessing. Your work doesn't have to be explicitly Christian to be a blessing. What do I mean by that? The second lie we have been trained to believe in the church is that only Christian ministry work is good work. So often the call from pulpits is to do the work of ministry, and the implication, I don't think we mean for the implication to be this, but the implication is that other work is secondary. Go witness, go evangelize, go share your faith, go get to know one another. That's always the call. Go read the scriptures more. Go gather together more. It's very few calls sometimes to go and do your job well. And so we begin to slide into thinking, oh, this other work is not as important. But this just frankly is not how the Bible describes it. The first good work described in the Bible was what we could call farming. There was only one tribe who were priests. Have you thought about this? One tribe, the Levites. All the other tribes did normal type of work. Now, they came before the Lord, before the tabernacle to worship. But most of the tribes of Israel spent their days working normal type jobs. They viewed all their work, and all of your work is done before the Lord. We usually reserve the language of calling or vocational ministry. But it should be employed for all sorts of work. For a large percentage of you in this room, your calling will be to work outside of Christian ministry and to be a witness and a light to the world in how you work and how you live. That is your calling. That is your calling. You are called to do that, to do something, to bring order out of chaos, to bring goodness to this creation, to get to know others and share the love of Jesus with them. And God says, that's good. That's really, really good. That's what you were created to do. So don't believe the lie that the only good work is the work of Christian ministry. We have a lot of students and kids in this room, so let me apply this directly to you. If you're a student, that's your work right now. If you're a kid and you're a student, that's your work. As a kid, you're working. As you're going to school, you're staying home at school. When you go to school, you are learning about God's creation, how he made us, so that you can cultivate, care for, beautify, and share what God has made. So as you learn math and science and literature and history and music and the scriptures, you're not learning to get a degree. You're learning to create what the scriptures call shalom, peace, 
and goodness upon this earth. That, that's your job now, to be a student, and that's good. Be a student. Learn everything that you can. This is very important. And maybe for some of you, you will become a student, and then you're going to work in a field where you make lots of money. And that's good. That's good. The model we see in the Bible is that we work to provide and to share. So maybe you'll get a financial advisor, but I also encourage you to maybe get a spiritual advisor to say, how can I share what I've made? How can I share what the Lord has blessed me with? As a student, as a worker, whatever God gives you, you are called to say, this will provide for me and I want to share it with others. That's what we're called to do in work. So we've seen how work is good. Now we need to turn to the fall of work. Maybe you're thinking through the first point, hey, that's easy for you to say. Work is good because you like your job now. (laughs) You get to read the Bible and sit chai lattes at cool coffee shops uh, for your work. So you 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 don't know the type of work that I have to do. You don't know the type of work that I have to do Monday morning. So it's easy to say work is a blessing if you like your job. But there's another reality in the scriptures. It is true, work is good, but it also exists in a fallen world. It also exists in a fallen world. Work is not only a blessing, but it's a pain because of the fall. So when I said, do you like your job? Many of you were like, I don't. You're like, wait, how is this fitting with the scriptures? Well, we live in a fallen world, so there's some natural sense that you might not like aspects of your job. Adam and Eve are given a choice in the garden. Will they eat? from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or will they trust God to define what is good and what is evil? Have you ever wondered why the test comes in a form of a tree? That was their work. I think it came in the form of a tree partially because that's, they were supposed to cultivate the garden. So work is a place where moral decisions are made, and God tested them where moral decisions are made in their work. Are you going to, in your work, trust me or not? And they decide that they won't. So what happens after that? Well, we can see in Genesis 3, after they sin, it's actually their work that is under the fall now. It's their work. So if you look at Genesis 3, it might even be behind me, Genesis 3:16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. Genesis 3:17 to Adam he said, "Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil." You hear that? You're going to have pain in giving birth to children, and Adam, as you work the ground, you're going to have painful toil as you eat from the fruit of the ground all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Note the common word after the fall is that there will be pain. There will be pain and toil. Even though God's design is good, we experience work in a broken and troubled world. That is why we have sore backs. That is why we have blisters on our hands. That is why we have aspirin. That is why we long for vacations, at least partially. That is why we have email. It's part of the fall. The fall unraveled and distorted the goodness and the blessing of work. Sin distorts our work, so we either become 
as I said earlier, idol at work or make our work an idol? So let's look at both of these together. How do we become idol at work or make work an idol, I-D-O-L-E, I-D-O-L? First, we can become lazy and idle and sluggish at work, and we can do so for many reasons. But maybe you do so because you feel like your work is fruitless. You feel like your work is fruitless. What I mean by this is that you feel frustrated at work because you can envision so much more than is happening. You want to accomplish more and you can't seem to get there. You're like, I want to do this and this and this. I want to change this and this and this. And you just hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. Our goals are not always met at least not in the way we envision them, because we have discomfort, we get tired, there's conflict, there's fatigue, and it happens again and again. And so we feel like our work is fruitless. What are we doing? We can't accomplish anything. So let me apply this again to one field, healthcare. I've never worked in healthcare, but I can imagine it feels like an endless cycle that never stops. As soon as someone is healed or gets better, another person comes in the door, right? It's just a constant revolving door of people needing help. And even when you do your best, sometimes your best is not enough. People die. There's nothing you can do. You you pour all the resources, all the knowledge that you have, and you can't do anything. In some ways, even all of our work even in all of our work, including healthcare, it's just a Band-Aid. It's just a Band-Aid for, for the time. So we can begin to become sluggish because we wonder, why am I doing this? It's not fixing anything. It's not ultimately fixing anything. So it feels fruitless. Or you can become idle at work because it feels pointless. Like there's no point to it. Ecclesiastes 2.17 says this, So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All my work was grievous to me. All of it was a vapor, a chasing after the wind. Amen, right? I hated life. It was, it was pointless. I don't even know why I'm doing this. I have to pack boxes at Amazon and send them on. It feels pointless. Like, what am I doing? Maybe that describes you because you dreamed one day of doing something. But you could never quite reach it. And now you're stuck in a job that you care nothing about, or maybe it's because you actually reached your dream job and the fulfillment never came. You thought it was going to be amazing. Oh, I can't wait to get there. I'm a student now. I'm going to go and do this amazing thing, and then you get there, and it feels pointless. We can feel that it's pointless because it doesn't seem to have the impact we want. Because we have a lot of moms with young kids. Let me apply this directly to you. Day after day, You change diapers, you fold laundry, you clean dishes, you pick up the toys, and right when you pick up the toys, they dump it out again. Or, in our situation, right after I mop, they spill milk every time. It's like, why am I even mopping? Why does it matter? There's just going to be more milk on the floor right after this, right? And it can feel pointless. Like, what, what am I doing? I just do the same thing day after day after day. And the piles of laundry just keep on stacking up. So you, you're like, I'm going to do a ton of laundry today, right? And you get them all done. And then the next day, it's like another pile. 
Like, what, are we, what are you supposed to do? It just feels like the cycle never ends. This, too, is part of the fall. There will be no laundry in the new heavens and the new earth. Our second temptation is to make an idol out of work. So not, you might not become lazy or sluggish or idle at work, but you actually make it your God. Sin distorts God's good creation. We are to find enjoyment and satisfaction and fulfillment in our work, but we can also distort this, and we can begin to find our identity in our work. An idol is something that you begin to worship. It becomes your God. What are some signs that work has become your God? I think for some of us, this is a temptation, to be perfectly honest, that work becomes who we are. Work is all-consuming. So some signs here that your work has become an idol. One of the best signs is that you overwork. You can't stop. You can't stop working. It literally gives you life, and you just go and go and go and go. One more email can't hurt. One more late night. One more early morning. Work receives all your attention And you neglect other good things in your life, including family, friends, church, the Lord himself. Work is all-consuming for you. And if you can't rest, if you literally can't take a break, that's what we talked about last week. If you can't take a break, that's a good sign that work has become an idol for you. You need to be able to rest from work and put it down and say, no no more. I don't have to do this anymore. Another sign that you make work an idol is that you want to make a name for yourself. This can happen in many ways, but it means you find your acceptance and your identity in your work, and you do all that you can to receive that acceptance in your work. And when you don't find that acceptance in your work, your life starts to fall apart. Maybe you fear that if you lose your job, your life will unravel. Because it's who you are. There's a good side of that and there's a bad side, right? There's a light and darkness to that. So if you feel like right now, man, if I lost my job, I don't know who I am. That's a sign that you're maybe making work an idol in your life. Tim Keller put it this way. When your work is your identity, if you are successful, it goes to your head. If you're a failure, it goes to your heart. When work is your identity, if you are successful, it goes to your head. Look at me. I'm so good. When you're a failure, you're depressed. You're down. You don't know what to do. But that's not your identity as a Christian. While work is good, it is never meant to be our God and our salvation. But we often make it into our new golden calf that we bow down and we worship. So what are we to do? What are we to do in light of this? The third point is the redemption of work. The solution is to remember who you work for. Who do you work for? This puts everything in proper perspective. So in the New Testament, Paul speaks about work. In Colossians 3, 23 through 25, and Ephesians 6, 6 through 7, I think it'll be up here behind me. Notice what Paul says in terms of who you work for. Whatever you do, whatever you do in your work, whatever you do, everything, guess what? You don't get to escape that one. (laughs) Whatever you do, 
everything represent this room. Do it from the heart. Do it from the heart as something done for the Lord. Whatever you do, do it as something is done for the Lord. And you see the opposite? Not for people. You're not working ultimately for your boss. You're not working ultimately for your supervisor. You're not working ultimately for the hedge fund. You're working for the Lord. Knowing that you will receive the reward as an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He's putting things, this is your priority. He says the same things in Ephesians 6, 6 through 7. Work as slaves or servants of Christ. Work as servants of Christ. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Who you work for is more important than what you do. Who you work for is more important than what you do. I spent a semester in Washington, D.C. at a church. We're just kind of blocks from the Capitol building, a little further from the White House. Multiple people in that congregation, therefore, worked for the government. So I'd go around after church, talk to people, ask the question, what do you do? One guy was like, I fly Air Force One. I'm the pilot. That's cool, right? I was like, oh, I want to talk to you about this. So literally, he's flying the president around the country and around the world. And that was cool. Why? He works for the president. I was like, this is, I want to talk to this person. Then I'd go around and talk to other people. Actually, one of my fellow interns, I was like, what did you do before this? And he was like, um, I was a, a copy guy in the, in the White House. I was like, what does that mean? He goes, I would make copies of papers for their meetings for the president. And I'm like, well, that's cool, too, because you work for the president, right? You made copies of the papers. So he would be like the one going down the hall, like, OK, let's get everybody their stuff before we have the big meeting. And both of those I thought was amazing because of who they worked for. And you work for the king of the universe. You work for the Lord. If you remember who you work for, you will remember that your job won't give you ultimate satisfaction. Only he will. Good kids, a good resume, a highly successful degree, a high-paying job, it won't do it for you. It won't do it for you. Fulfillment is found only in God. And at the same time, remembering who you work for will also cut the root of being idle at work, thinking it doesn't matter. It does matter because you work for the Lord. You are not just working for that terrible boss. You are working for investment in the kingdom of God. And who is your king? Your king is the one who loves you infinitely. Ephesians Chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, Paul says that you may grasp the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love for you. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. You work for the one who loves you infinitely. So don't you want to work well for him? Because he loves you more than you can measure. You can't even measure his love for you. And he loves you primarily in Christ who is sent to die for you. So as you wake up on Monday morning and you think, what am I doing? Remember, you work for the king, the king of the universe who created all things, who wants you to share in the goodness of his creation and share it with others. No matter what you do, whatever you do, you work for the Lord. 
So in your healthcare work, you are showing the love of Christ by loving others through your knowledge. And you're laying down your life so that you might share it with others so others might have a better life. That's good. And you're doing laundry, moms. You're showing the love of Christ by selflessly caring for your kids. You're acting like Christ to them by laying down your life, maybe your desires and your dreams of a career, so that you might serve them. In your teaching, you're loving others by sharing with them what you have learned. In your construction work, you're loving others by building places that are safe, beautiful, and secure. In your software design, I don't even know what you're doing, but I think it's good. I think it's good. Everyone who says I work in IT, I'm just like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. But it sounds good. I'm glad you're doing things. What is our story of work? Our story of work is that it is good. It exists under the fall, but it can be redeemed. So let me close with this story. I've always struggled with balancing good things in my life. Family work. Life, hobbies, work, work. What, what, like, how do you balance all of this? And one time I was actually struggling with just this balance in my own life. So I went to my pastor in Portland. I'm like, man, I'm just, I, I don't know. Like, should I be going to work so much when my kids are so young? I'm missing key moments of their life. Like, how do I balance a lot of good things in my life? Like, these are all good things, but what do I do with them? And he encouraged me by saying two things. Here's the two things he said to me. First, it's important for your kids to see your mom and dad going to work or working. It's very important for them to see that. This is part of actually you loving them. It's a part of their formation. By walking out of that door, I'm teaching them work is good and God has called us to work. Dad working, mom working is actually part of the way that we love them and we train them up. But he said, second, you also need to be able to put down your work. You need to be able to put it down and give them your full attention where you're not looking at your phone, you're not opening up your computer, you're not answering the phone all the time, and you're saying, you've got all of me right now. That is done for now. There's a time when the emails keep coming in, when the phone keeps ringing, that you say, no, this now needs to stop. And I think we all need to live within that balance. It's good to work, but we can make it into an idol, or we can become idol at work. We work because we serve Jesus. We stop working because we serve Jesus. May God give us the strength to follow, follow him in all of our ways. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you instruct us on every part of our life, that you speak to us in terms of how we work. So, Father, we need the grace and the strength of the Holy Spirit to walk in your ways. Would you please grant us that? Father, we recognize that we failed in so many ways, even within this category. So, Father, we pray that you would forgive us and that we would be able to walk in the light and that we would be able to walk in faithfulness as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.